Uh, show of hands if you're willing. Do we have any Star Wars fans in the house this morning? Got a few? Okay. I've always loved Star Wars. Back, I mean, from, from four years old and up. Now, I've never, like, dressed up as a Wookiee at the theater or anything. I'm not that big of a fan, but I've always loved Star Wars. And now some people don't, and that's okay. I, you know, if I ever start talking with Jennifer about Star Wars, she'll just mess with me. She'll be like, Nanu, Nanu. You know, or something totally off the wall to infinity and beyond, just to mess with me, to let me know she doesn't really care. But if, you're, if you are a Star Wars fan, to me at least, there's no debating which movie is the best. It's The Empire Strikes Back. It's the second film that was made back in 1980. And part of the reason that film is the best is because of the great twist, the reveal at the end of the movie, where the evil Darth Vader is standing over Luke Skywalker, having defeated him in battle, and Luke is bitter. And he says, you killed my father. To which Darth Vader responds, he says, no, Luke, I am your father. And it's one of the great twists in movie history. If I just ruined it for you, you've had 31 years to watch it, okay? That's your, that's your fault, not mine. Um, but here's, now, here's what's crazy about that scene. At a deeper level, Luke refuses to believe it. But deep down, he knows it's true. He knows it. And we're left at the end with this very unsettling question. Luke has to wonder, is the same darkness that is in him also in me? Where does my destiny lie? Is it on the side of good or is it on the dark side? Will I turn out just like him? Right? Well, y'all, we, as we've been walking through John chapter 8, we saw this last week. Jesus makes this incredible claim. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And y'all, we spoke at length last week about the darkness, understanding that, that there's a great deal of darkness existing in the world around us. I don't have to preach that. But there's also darkness within us. There's darkness in me. And so when Jesus promises that through Him we may walk in the light, that's not a promise of better external circumstances. The promise means that we may walk in freedom from the darkness of our own sin. And now as wonderful as that promise is, as great as that may sound to us, people have always pushed back against that claim and that promise. We see the people that Jesus encountered face to face. They opposed this claim and this promise too. Because y'all, to accept Jesus at his word means I have to acknowledge that I need saving. And that's not an easy thing to do. I have to admit that I'm lost in my sin and I need someone else to rescue me. I can't solve my own problems. I can't be the source of my own salvation. And y'all, so often, that realization, which brings opposition, so often that's what Jesus encountered. That stumbling block was always present. And so as we enter back into this exchange Jesus is having, he's in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. He's, he's conversing back and forth with his own kinsmen, the Jewish people he continues to run up against this opposition. These people don't want to admit that they need anything. Certainly not him. But what we have today, right in the middle of John 8, this is one of, I think, one of the most illuminating conversations in the whole Bible. 
There's a lot of gold to be found when we dig into this text here. And so as Jesus lays out today what it means to be a Christian, we see the walls go up. And these might be walls that we ourselves have in our own hearts too. So look with me. This is John chapter 8, beginning in verse 30, right there in the middle of the chapter. As Jesus spoke these things, John tells us, many came to believe in him. Now that's good. That's great. So, verse 31, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, John is careful to tell us Jesus is speaking to people who have believed him. So our expectation in reading this section would be whatever Jesus says, the people are going to go right along with him. They're going to receive and obey. But y'all, there are points throughout the Gospel of John where belief is shown to be flimsy and sometimes even false. And this is one of the clearest places in John where this is the case. In some sense, these people have believed Jesus, but only superficially. And as Jesus begins to push, the cracks begin to show. So Jesus begins here in verse 31 by speaking on discipleship. He says, if you continue in my word, or if you abide in my word then you are truly disciples of mine. And so if we ever ask the question, how do I know that my belief in Jesus is genuine? How do I know that I've really trusted him? Well, y'all, one of the clearest points of evidence is right here. We will abide in his word, meaning we will seek to obey Jesus from the heart. There's a new desire implanted within us that if we have trusted Jesus, we don't just leave that trust as a separate category, but it now encompasses all of life. Everything flows through this new relationship. And of course, my new desire is to obey Him. I want to follow Him. I love His Word. That's, how, that's one of the reasons we can know and be confident that we are true Christians. And with that claim comes a promise. Jesus doesn't leave it there. Listen to what he says next. He says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. See, y'all, when Jesus speaks about the truth, he doesn't speak about mere information. So often when we think of that word, truth, we're thinking of information that we can internalize and believe and act upon. And certainly there's a portion of that in Jesus' words. But later on in, in John 14, Jesus gives that great statement about himself, I am the way, he says, and the truth and the life. Jesus says, I am the truth. And so, y'all, the promise here, you will know the truth. That's a relational promise. It, there's, not, there's no line of information that you and I can read that's going to bring transformation to our hearts. Information alone would never do that. No, it's a relationship, the truth found in the person of Christ. 
He's the one who then makes us free. Now the question becomes, okay, free from what? And Jesus hasn't told us yet. He will in a second. But I want to show you all, as soon as he says this, the walls begin to come up. Before Jesus can even define terms, the people have a problem. And we see it again in verse 33. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So Jesus has already caused offense. What he said might not offend us, but to them it was immediately problematic. See, if these people need to be made free, what does that mean? It means Jesus thinks they are enslaved. They're not free. That's why they need to be made free. And to that idea, they punch back. We're Abraham's descendants. We're the people of Israel. We're not slaves to anybody. We're free in the Lord. God keeps us free. We're special. Right? Y'all remember like 10 seconds ago, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And already, these people who have believed him, in some sense, they're already rejecting his word. They're not continuing in his word. They won't receive him. See, whatever kind of freedom Jesus may be offering to them, they don't think they need it. And that's why they push back. We're God's special, chosen, called out people. Whatever you're offering, we already have. And so Jesus explains, not only to them, but to us. Here's what he means when he speaks of this freedom. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son does remain forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So think about what Jesus is telling us. He says everyone who commits sin, or literally everyone who does sin, is the slave of sin. Now if you've grown up around church, or if you've read your Bible, that may not feel controversial to you. You're used to that. But at a very general level, this is a controversial thing to say. And so we've got to focus on it for a second. Because I, I think that people generally want to resist Jesus on this point right here. And, and I'm one of them, by the way. And so I just, let's just take me for example, okay? Jesus says, anyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. I freely admit that I'm a sinner. I have no problem admitting that. I've always known that as far back as I can remember because I'm aware of the lists that are in this book. The Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, the, the deeds of the flesh from Galatians, the, uh, the, the Romans chapter 1. There's a lot of lists of sins, and I'm guilty of a bunch of them. I have no problem admitting that. But I'm not a slave to sin. Now we've gone too far. Now, I'm in control of my own life. I could stop it whenever I want to. I may choose to do it, and I may recognize that it's bad to do. But that's not what controls me. I'm in control. And therefore, I can overcome my sin. I can atone for it. I can make up for it. And y'all, while we're on the subject, in comparison to some people, I'm really not that bad at all. I mean, I've done a lot of bad things, but I haven't done, I haven't done that or that. You get a little insight into my own heart here, but it's your heart too. 
we all justify ourselves the best we can. I may be a sinner, sure, but there's a good reason for the sins that I commit, and at least they're not as bad as so-and-so. And And at least I haven't done that, right? I'm not a slave to sin. That's too far. But y'all, here's what we need to recognize. And of course, Jesus doesn't mince words, and Jesus has no regrets. He never took this statement back. He never needed to. Because when Jesus speaks to us about ourselves, he gives us this one category. And he offers no others. He says everyone who sins, everyone, is sin's slave. Meaning, sin is what rules over us. Sin ultimately controls us and directs us and defines us. Now, it doesn't mean that we're all just as bad as we all could possibly be. None of us in this room are as bad as we could be, praise God. But what it does mean is every single thing about me, all of my faculties, are stained by sin. That my life is ultimately dominated, I'm in bondage to a cruel master, a bondage now that I cannot shake myself free from, I cannot work my way out of it, I cannot atone for it, and even the score for myself. If you are a sinner, Jesus says, you're a slave to sin. It dominates. It has dominion. And y'all, the worst part about it, and really the, the deepest issue with sin, it's not just that we have a list of bad behaviors that we've committed. It's ultimately that sin is what separates us from God. Sin is the state of being, it's the way of life, that alienates us from the Father. That's why we fall short of His glory and we may not be acceptable in His sight. I'm a sinner and I'm a slave to it. But that's what makes the good news so especially good. Jesus doesn't mince the bad news. He tells it like it is. But then the good news becomes all the brighter and more wonderful. You see the end of verse 35? The son does remain forever. Not like the slave. The slave is not part of the family, but the son is. I think Jesus is speaking about himself right there. So, here's the promise. If the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Our our bondage to sin has one glorious solution. Jesus Christ makes us free. And y'all, there are multiple uh, facets to that idea of freedom. Let me give you at least two. To be free means, one, we are free from the penalty of sin. Because Jesus has died on the cross to forgive our sins. That penalty no longer hovers over us. It's no longer held against us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For we've been set free from the law of sin and death. But we're also set free from the power of sin. The ruling dominion and power of sin. Because by His grace, Jesus has given us new hearts to love Him and follow Him. That's why He says... Anyone who follows me will not walk in the darkness. You don't live there anymore. You live in the light of new life. And so we're free from the penalty and the power of sin. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so I want to make this point very clear before we move on. I don't want to cause any confusion. If you are a Christian, you can say this with confidence. I can too. It's sad, but it's true. We still sin. We still sin. 
But when you and I sin as Christians, we're doing it in contradiction to what we really are. Sin is no longer our nature binding us to it. Sin now is contrary to our new nature in Christ. Because you are no longer a slave, you are now a child. You're no longer on the outside looking in, but you've been brought into the family of God. No longer in that bondage, but now we are truly free. That's why, y'all, Jesus doesn't mind being redundant. When Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He could have simply said, the Son will set you free. And we would have gotten his point, I hope. But no, he says, if the Son sets you free then you are truly free. Really free. This is not nice spiritual language we slap on the back of our car on a bumper sticker. This is real life transformation. Real freedom. That's what he's offering us. Now, of course, we've seen this already and we're going to see it some more. The walls are going up concerning this relationship he has with his fellow Jews. He's speaking the truth to them, but they're pushing back. Jesus knows their hearts And so he digs down with them. Okay, let's follow this logic. You're the sons of Abraham, you say. Look at verse 37. Jesus responds, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You're doing the deeds of your father. So what Jesus is saying, rather than receiving You really want to get rid of me. You're set on killing me. And the reason is, it's it's because you're not really Abraham's children. Sure, you can trace your lineage back to Abraham. You come off of his family tree, but you're nothing like him. You're not like him. Abraham had faith in God. Abraham humbly trusted and obeyed God. You are not doing the deeds of Abraham because you're really following after your father. Now hold on to that phrase. Jesus makes a distinction. He hasn't clarified what it is yet. But he says you have a different father than the one you claim. Now at this point we're we're going to get testy. Look at what the people say next. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. This is their way of saying, we're not illegitimate children. We are the true people chosen by God. Okay? Now, that may seem like a fairly kind of innocuous statement. They're, they're doubling down here. They've left Abraham behind. They've gone straight to God now. They're going to make their point. But y'all, there are some commentators. D.A. Carson is one of the commentators. I'd never seen this before. It's a little speculative, but it's interesting. So I'm going to share it. I like, this, I like interesting things. Uh, Carson is one of the commentators that believes that the people are actually um, insulting Jesus with this statement here. 
they think they know all about Jesus, right? We know where you're from. We know your mother and father, right? They continue to say things like that. Well, when the people say, we're not illegitimate children here, Jesus, it's possible, at least, that what they're getting at is this. Hey, Jesus, um, remind us, your mother Mary, when did she become pregnant with you? Was it before or after she married Joseph? Of course, we know better. We know that Jesus' conception was miraculous, but they didn't know that. They certainly didn't believe that. We know for sure, we'll see it next week, the people accuse Jesus of being a Samaritan, which is to say he's not a full-blooded Jew. He doesn't really belong with the rest of them as a son, a child of Abraham. They're trying to discredit him. We're not the illegitimate children here, Jesus. God is our father. Whether that's an intentional insult or not, the weight of it should be felt. So how's Jesus going to respond to that? Jesus has said some difficult things throughout this this gospel so far, but y'all, this one might take the cake. This might be one of the tougher, if not the, the most difficult, heavy thing Jesus ever said. And I'm just going to read the whole paragraph here so we'll get the the thrust of it. Verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. I can't imagine a more piercing insult than what Jesus just gave them. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the Jewish people. God's special people. The sons of Abraham... And he says, God is not your father. In fact, you are of your father, the devil. Is he just going for shock value here? How could Jesus stand there and make such an outrageous statement about these people? That you're not really of God, you're really of the devil. Well, y'all, the two important points I want us to see on this as to what I think Jesus is trying to show them and, and us, okay? First thing first, y'all, Jesus, we we mentioned this a minute ago, Jesus does not view people in neutral terms. We tend to do that. We see there are good people in the world and there are bad people, but most everybody's kind of in a soft middle. Most everybody's fine. They may not be especially good, but they're also not especially evil. There's this neutral middle ground. Jesus doesn't view the world that way. It was Jesus, back in Matthew 12, Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me. There is no middle ground for Jesus. And so when Jesus says to the crowd, You're of your father, the devil, 
He's not saying y'all are all devil worshipers. That's not the, the implication at all. In fact, these are the same people he's speaking with. These people, they go to the temple all the time. And they sing so- songs to God, right? They have no sense of, of loving or worshiping the devil at all. That's not what he means. What Jesus means is this. In spite of all your religiosity, you don't live by faith in God. You reject my words, the very words of God, and therefore, in the end, you don't belong to God. And if you don't belong to God, there's only one other option. There is no middle ground. You belong to Satan. You know, that's, that's extreme, I realize. But Jesus said it. And maybe it helps us to consider, there, there are other scriptures that would, would maybe fill in some of the blanks here. Um, one of my favorites comes from Paul's letter to Timothy. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul speaks of what, what it is for people who oppose Jesus. They oppose the gospel. But Paul has a hope for those people. And he, he says it. This is 2 Timothy 2 at the end of the chapter. Paul says, Perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. That's how Paul paints the problem of those who don't believe in Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus is saying to the crowd. You are ensnared by the devil, and therefore you do his will. He has held you captive into his will. And so you're walking out his will. How so, the people wonder. Well, Jesus gives them two examples. First, you want to kill me. You want to murder the Son of God. Where does that desire come from? It comes from your father who was a murderer from the beginning. He set his heart from the beginning to slither into the garden and put Adam and Eve to death through their temptation to sin. Promising them they wouldn't die. That God was holding out on them. His heart was murder from the beginning. And Jesus says, you refuse to believe my words. Why is that? Because your father is the father of lies. He is the great deceiver. There is no truth in him. He hates the truth. And so when the truth stands embodied right in front of you, you reject me wholesale. It's not that these people are worshiping the devil, but they are captive to his will. And that's why they reject God's son. And y'all, this is a problem that doesn't exist on the surface merely. It's a deep problem. I want to remind you of two verses that we've already seen. Two things Jesus said to the crowd. Verse 43, Jesus asks a question and then supplies an answer. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Answer, it is because you cannot hear my word. Cannot. Then in verse 47, Jesus says, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. And so again, the depth of this problem, the depth of their lostness, of the snare that they've found themselves in, there's a reason, Jesus says, you don't heed my words. It's because you can't. It's not simply that you won't, although that's true as well, but you can't hear me. Why not? Because you are not of God. God. 
You are enslaved to sin. You are ensnared by the devil. And therefore, you are blind and deaf to heaven. And again, the Apostle Paul fills in a blank for us on this. We just saw 2 Timothy 2. In 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul explains lostness again. He says, the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They're blind. There's a constitutional problem. It's not just that they don't like what Jesus is selling. No, deep down they don't know God. Deep down they are fulfilling the desires of the one who truly rules them. And therefore they cannot see the light of the glory of Christ. And so y'all, I want to encourage us in this as we round this corner here and close. We need to take Jesus with absolute seriousness here. Not that we wouldn't otherwise. Not that we take him more seriously or less seriously depending on the scripture, no. But y'all, listen. I mean, dig down with me here and think about what Jesus has told us. Sin is slavery. Sin is not a bad habit. It's not something I can manage and I can overcome if I just made up my mind. No. Sin has dominion. Sin enslaves. Sin rules over us and defines us. And sin's author, the devil, the father of sin, holds us captive in it. And y'all, I realize a great many people, including some Christians, sadly, view Satan as kind of a joke. A cartoon character with a pitchfork. Or he doesn't really exist. Satan's just kind of, that's the name we give to to evil that we can't really fully understand. But y'all, Jesus sure believed in him. And Jesus did not see him as a cartoon character. Jesus taught not only is the devil real, but he is much stronger and far craftier than any of us. I'm not going toe-to-toe with him, and you shouldn't want to either. He's stronger than me, and that's why we need somebody stronger than him. And so, y'all, as we close, it's okay for us to acknowledge the heaviness of scriptures like this. That's one of the reasons at Harvest we just firmly believe in teaching through the Bible, whole books, so that I, as the preacher, don't get a chance to chicken out. I might not like teaching stuff like this, I want you to like me. But we don't do that here because we believe the whole counsel of God is necessary for us. And so there's, there's, sometimes it's heavy. Today it's heavy. Y'all, if, if, if the word slavery comes up in your Bible, if the devil shows up in the Bible, that kind of stuff puts a lump in our throat, and it should. So we've got to come to terms with it and not run away from it, not pretend it away, not gloss it over. The pit of lostness, the pit of sin is just as deep and dark as you can imagine. We don't have little problems that Jesus needs to modify. The depth of sin, the depth of of darkness is something that only God could rescue us out of. We are entirely without hope unless something supernatural is done on our behalf. And y'all, again, that's what makes the good news 
so wondrously good. That's what makes Jesus so absolutely stunning. Is that he, by his grace, came all the way down to the bottom of that dark pit. To become a servant of the people who otherwise would reject him. And then to die on our behalf. He came into the deepest darkness out of love for us, for sinners. Y'all remember, just a second ago I read from 2 Corinthians 4, Paul speaks of the devil blinding the minds of the unbelieving. They cannot see the light of the glory of Jesus. Here's what he says right after that, though. Listen to this. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. We didn't climb our way out. God shines his light into the darkest of darkness to shine in our hearts, to give the light that makes us new, to show us the face of Christ that we might see him with new eyes and hear him with new ears and know him from a new heart. Y'all be assured of this. This is a good news sermon. And we always end with good news. There is no sin in your life. There is no scheme of Satan that can overcome the light of the grace of God. Not one. It's not out there. God's light outshines it all. And that's why to become a Christian means we don't just get forgiveness. We don't just get to go to heaven. We get a new family. No longer sons of the devil, but now children of a heavenly father. Because if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Let's pray. Father, would you pierce our hearts this morning with these words from your Son? Thank you. Uh, I squirm to read this. Um, thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that to be loved by God is not some flimsy spiritual feeling that we just enjoy the blessings and, and smile our way through life. But Lord, to be loved by you is real forgiveness from real sin and true righteousness and a bright light that outshines the darkness that so offends you and alienates us from you. Father, thank you that you didn't just smile upon us, but you sent your Son for us. Thank you, Lord, that where we were blinded and ensnared and held captive and enslaved by the devil, to do his will, the will of living in sin, the will of of assuming that we can live just fine without God. 
Lord, every lie that we've ever been told by him. Your light outshines, your truth abounds, your grace covers. And so, Father, I pray that we would take very seriously what Jesus takes seriously. We have a real enemy, and he is set against us because he is set against you, but he will not prevail. Lord, in our blindness, you shine the light that we might see. Lord, you unplug our deaf ears that we might hear the voice of the Son of God. And Lord, our hearts are opened up to life because you have been gracious to us. Father, let it be that we will um, rejoice in this good news and recognize the, um, the works of the enemy. Recognize what we were. We were once ensnared. We did once walk according to his schemes. But now by your grace, we've been made alive together with Christ, and we are not what we were. Father, thank you that you have set us free, free indeed from sin's penalty and sin's power by faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that our faith in Jesus would be pure this morning, overflowing with joy in this free gift he's given us. May we trust him and may we walk with him in the light. In Christ's name, amen.